Welcome to Dopey, the podcast about drugs, addiction, and dumb shit, and I'm Dave. And um, I'm sitting here with a bunch of uh, Chris's dear, dear friends, so why don't we introduce everybody? I'm Ted. I'm Colin. Caitlin. Mark. Will. Alex. All right, a bunch of them had been on Dopey. Fucking Colin's been on Dopey. Caitlin's been on Dopey. Alex is a fucking pseudo-regular. He's been on at least three times. Did a bunch of sound checks. Had the story about his roommate who got pissed on, I believe. Where he drank piss. That was the first of the piss drinking. And uh, Will was never on before, but I think Chris mentioned him. And Mark did the uh, only uh, phony phone call with farm animals in rehab. (laughs) Today uh, was Chris's wake, and we all went to Boston, and it was incredibly heavy. And uh, Alex got a kind of ghetto uh, bed and breakfast for 16 people where the ceiling fans are all fucked up and there's no air conditioning and the light in the bathroom doesn't work. It's basically horrible. And the fridge smells. The The fire alarms went off. The fridge doesn't smell. The fridge is like fucking caustic, like death. Like that's bad. But we're here and... uh, There's a toilet that you're not allowed to flush. (laughs) It says do not flush anything, including toilet paper. (laughs) Explain explain that for a second. That's like, so what do you do? I don't know. Put it in the garbage. I think it says put it in the garbage. So you piss and shit and then you must have to put toilet paper in the garbage. And then you can flush. Maybe you you can't even flush shit. I don't know. Maybe just piss. Alex, if you're gonna talk, you gotta sit close to close to Ted and get into the mic, or else the show's gonna be bad. Now, everybody in in the Dopey Nation who heard the last episode is everybody's reeling from Chris's death, you know, and we're all reeling from Chris's death too. But we're trying to celebrate his life tonight, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's yeah. the idea, and um, it's very heavy to lose a friend like Chris, who's so young and brilliant and beautiful and full of life. And, uh, and, and these guys, and me, we all got sober together, uh, and, and we all relapsed together, or a bunch of us did, and then got sober again. Mm-hmm. So I figured it would be really, and then some of us relapsed again, unfortunately. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Fucking hell. Um, it's fucking amazing that this happened and that we're doing this, but we love Chris, and that's why we're doing yeah. it. Yeah. So um, I figured it would be cool <coughs> if uh, these guys told some stories of Chris. Why don't we start with you, Ted? For sure. So, I'm Ted. I'm Chris's uh, longtime buddy. I haven't ever been on the show. Um, My part of the reason was I had a a job where I work with high schoolers, and I never wanted to come on and tell crazy stories myself and get back to them, because that would be weird. Um, But Chris and I met in rehab seven years ago. Um, We went to a sober house together. We ended up getting an apartment together with me and... Colin is sitting next to me. Um, Colin's been on the show. <laughs> but yeah, so we go back. I mean, Chris was is literally like a brother to me. Colin I've... told the drunk golf cart story yeah. and, and had to walk. What, what was the story? You, you had to walk back uh, after crashing a golf cart in the woods or something? Yeah, I, um, I, I grew up in the woods. Up, and I went to school up in Vermont. I stole a golf cart in a blackout. I thought I could drive it back to my apartment. Made it 100 yards. Fell in a drainage ditch. Woke up in cuffs. And that was my... My DUI. It was classic dopey, though. Back to you, Ted. Yeah, yeah. No, no, for sure. And so, I mean, Chris has been a staple in my life for the past seven years. I mean, he's like somebody I love with all my heart like a brother. I have a few people in my life who I consider my close family, and Chris is one of them. Um, So I have, I don't know, I have so many stupid stories with Chris, funny stories, heavy stories. Um, So I guess 
A, a funny, quick, light one I want to start with um, that just kind of exemplifies everything about Chris is this was like maybe five years ago when I lived with Chris and he wanted to play, I don't know if it was an April Fool's joke or if he was just trying to fuck with me. I can't really remember <laughs> the details. But so I was, my girlfriend at the time, who's currently my wife, was spending the night and the next morning I woke up early to go to work and I'm at work and he decides to play this prank on me with my girlfriend and I get a text from her. You know, he must have went in her room and said, like, let's fuck with that. I have this, you know, funny idea. And so I get a text from my girlfriend at the time. And it says that Chris walked into my into your room this morning and was being really inappropriate with me. She's like, I'm really <laughs> uncomfortable. Like, I don't know what to do. I can't remember if she said he was hitting on her or what the deal was. And I was just looking. I was like, what the fuck? And I, I responded. I was like, no. I was like, Chris is just, like, really weird. I was like, I wouldn't worry about it. He's just kind of awkward, a little weird. Like, he's totally harmless. And so, like, Chris is sitting there with Michelle, like, waiting for me to get this response. Probably all like, what the fuck is Chris doing? But I'm just like, no, he's just kind of a weirdo. It's not a big deal. <laughs> so they were just, like, cracking up. Because, like, I can't – I mean, I couldn't imagine Chris doing that anyway. Like, it's so – No way. It's but he is super weird he is, women. Yes. He's – like, Chris is awesome, but he's, like, he now. can be very – awkward I don't I think. okay so this is Colin we we had a therapist I won't say any names but Abby. oh yes yes <laughs> yes. yes and um, it wasn't even our therapist it's just this he was in love with yeah, her. Yeah, he was in love with she her. She was pretty cute. She was young. Yeah. Yeah. She was cute. yeah. Yeah, and I think she was a lesbian too, right? She, but no, like, but now she's married and has kids. She like was a lesbian. Yeah, she told know. Chris she was a lesbian, but <laughs> <laughs> that sounds about right. Chris was impatient and <laughs> she was. Chris oh, was, she was. <coughs> she was. But She's it, not The anymore. most important thing, though, was Chris was inpatient in treatment, mm-hmm. and he decided he wanted. He, he was in love with the therapist. She couldn't. Hold on, we have we have a professional here. How often do do women therapists have sex with male clients? All the time. Well, forget it then. I guess there's not <laughs> the all the time. Anyway, <laughs> back to the story. So yeah, so he's telling us about her and. Um, He's like, I want to, f- I want to find a way to connect with her in some way. So obviously, Chris finds Facebook, finds her on Facebook, and he instead of just like messaging her like how he feels or or like letting her know that it's understandably weird that he's messenger messaging her, he just sends her this an adjective to describe how much he well, loves her. Well, he was her. being just incredibly creepy and weird. So what he, was the adjective? So the first one he ever sent, I don't know where he probably didn't talk to her in many months, maybe years, I don't even know. He just sent her a message that said, ravishing, with a period <laughs> at the end. And so we're like, dude, what the fuck? She read it, never responded. Then two weeks later, he decides Del- to send another one. Delectable. Delectable. No, he yes, he did. Yes, he did. And we, were, and we all thought it was so funny. He loved that we thought it was so funny. So it would just kind of like perpetuate itself and two weeks later. And it would just get so ridiculous. At one point, we couldn't think of anything else to say to her. And for some reason, he didn't send this, but he thought it would be funny to send her a message that just said, I think I'm gay. <laughs> I don't know. He thought that would be great. He didn't. But finally, I think he recognizes it getting like really weird. I mean, it was like every two weeks, another like more intense adjective. Yeah. And she, she had respond. Never. No. He, no. Would, he would break never. out the thesaurus and try to find the like weirdest adjective to describe. He found one. It was like pultricaduitous or some crazy weird word that he said to her. Pultri- I forget what it he was. He thought he was going to impress her. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. Did it, there was never a response. Never response, no. I remember there was some story about when he, like, went to a restaurant and there was a waitress and he, like, leaves the notes. Oh, yeah. What was that story? 
Well, he, it was when I, the first time he came to get a haircut with me, he left the salon and had called later on that day and asked me to call him back. And I thought he was going to ask me to speak at a meeting. And he got me on the phone and I was standing outside of the salon and he was like, hey, Caitlin, I think you're really cute. Do you want to go out to dinner with me? Mm. Wow. What happened? I told him I had to do my fourth step yeah. and then my sponsor told me I couldn't. <laughs> wow. Wow. Yeah. Perfect excuse. Yeah. So that's what he said. He said, I think you're really cute. Yeah. Like, it's, like, it's like he's such a man out of time. But yeah. I had like stepped away from my clients and walked outside like, to take this call and I thought it was going to be something super important and it was it him. Was. Oh. Yes, it, was. it was. Yes. It was super important. important. It was yeah, important. I love that he said, I think you're really, did you say, I think, I think you're, you're, I think you're really cute and I want to take you out to dinner. Wow. I mean, that's, he's a special guy. Yeah, very special guy. Any more women's stories that we can think of? I can think of one um, (laughs) that it kind of reminds me of this. So there was, am I allowed to use people's names or no? Because if I can, first names. Okay. So there was this counselor at rehab that he thought was pretty different counselor. He thought was pretty cute. (laughs) And her name was Mary Kate. And so he decided to, he thought this would be a good way to like, I don't know, earn her love and affection. And so he Mary. went out to her. Co- he, you say Mary Kate, I'm sure. I know, but it, it's, you'll understand. I had to say Mary Kate because okay. it, it follows up. So he went out to her car and wrote her a note that said, Mary Kate is super great. With a smile <laughs> and face like, yeah, left on her car. And yeah, he thought that was awesome. And Do you think we he cra- thought it would work? I don't know. Um, I I don't know. I don't think he really thought about those things, whether it would work or not. He just wanted to, like, tell us about it. (laughs) He he went the extra mile to get a laugh from his friends. Yeah, absolutely. That's what he lived for. So one other story. This is a much more heavy, serious story, but I think it exemplifies a lot of, like, Chris's amazing qualities. Um, So about five years ago, Chris and I were driving to... We went to a poetry slam. Slam poetry. Slam poetry, whatever. Yeah. At uh, this yoga retreat center. And um, we were, I know, right? Like, what? that's what you do in two years in yeah. sobriety. And you have yeah. slam, poetry. slam poetry at yoga, yoga center. Yeah. So we were driving down there, and we were driving for a few miles, and all of a sudden we see in front of us, like, all these cars that had crashed into each other, a bunch of smoke, and it was just, and there was no cops, there was no ambulance or anything. We were literally the first people to pull up. Three cars, all of them total in the middle of the road, glass everywhere. We park our car and we're like, what the fuck? And so we get out, walk up to the first car. And again, this is like a horrible, like horrific moment of my life that I like have these vivid memories of, but walk up to the first car and it's totaled. There's a guy in the passenger seat or guy in the driver's seat, he's clearly dead. And we, Chris and I look at him, we were like, what the fuck? Then we hear this like yelping from 10 feet away, walk over to this other car and there's a dude who, car had smashed and you know, he, I don't know, I don't know what happened to his legs, but he's paralyzed, you know, he got severely injured. So we see a dead guy, somebody who's paralyzed, and we see another total car with nobody in it. Somebody on the side of the road was screaming that the driver took off, ran into the bushes. And so Chris and I, I was literally, Chris, seeing him kind of like activate, like I was in shock. I didn't, I was literally stay, like walking around, seeing, hearing moans, seeing a dead person all, a million miles an hour, my thoughts were running in my head. And um, I had no idea what to do, but Chris was just like so sad. And he like ran up to the guy's paralyzed and was like, dude, we're gonna call 911, we're gonna get you okay makes a phone call, then, and other people at the scene had been pulling up, other cars started piling up, and, or not, not like crashing, but you know, stopping and seeing what's going I on. I pulled up, 
Yeah, eventually we yeah. called Colin and you know he pulled up. But so there was this, you know, apparently somebody on the side of there was screaming that the person who caused the accident ran into the bushes. And so Chris and I walked down there and we see a dude in all these like this is like a person's house like right next to a farm and there's all these like giant like corn stalks or something. We see a guy in there with like blood all over his shirt on the ground crying and he was clearly wasted and Chris just like, rather than there's all these people angry, like how, you know, of course this horrific thing happened and this guy was, the, you know, the person who caused it and there's a lot of anger towards him but Chris just walks up to him and the guy was super confused and he's like, what's happening? And, you know, Chris told me, he's like, you know, I think you caused like a really bad accident and the guy was sobbing. He's like, did I kill anyone? And Chris is like, yes, you did. And the guy was so drunk but Chris, the way Chris was, I don't remember exactly the words that were spoke between them. I, I was so like in shock, but I kind of just come to and Chris is literally holding the guy in his arms and the guy was just sobbing like I can't believe this happened and, he, and seeing sorry go ahead. Yeah, he basically told the guy in very very shortly his that he had a similar past and that uh, he was in AA and he was now sober and basically said that he had to face a lot of things in his past and it was time for the guy to face what was going on right now in his life and to come back to the scene. And he convinced the guy to come back. Yeah, he literally convinced the guy. I mean, we were in the middle, just Chris and I and this dude in the middle of this like corn stalks, convinced the guy to walk back to like the scene where the whole accident took place. At this point, the cops had showed up and the guy like, the guy like, had a hard time leaving Chris's arm. I mean, we walked back there, the police were there and you know, they, they quickly handcuffed him and it was pretty aggressive. But I mean, seeing the guy- Who's the old guy, young guy? Uh, he's young. Like, he was probably in his 30s, I he would was say. 31. Okay, 31, yeah. And, um, and how, how long had you guys been clean? We were maybe we were like- Eight t- months. Was it eight months? Yeah, wow. we were on okay. our way to young people. So we had just moved yeah. into, uh, into the house in Sheffield. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what do you remember what Chris had said? To the guy, I just remember Chris telling him about AA, telling him about sobriety, telling him about his own issues, and I don't remember exactly the words. I mean, I think Colin summarized yeah, it pretty well. The most amazing thing, I think, about Chris was that when things were at their worst for somebody, he had a way to get really calm. It was unbelievable. And, like, draw yeah. you out. And it was, like, the most giving thing he would do. He would, like... He would stop being him and become the real him. Yeah. He would go from like Chris three yeah, yeah. to Chris six. Yeah, Chris the idiot know? to like Chris, I'm here for you no matter what. And like it, his voice would calm down and he would he would gesture in this way that was so giving and yeah. so just it was amazing. And um and now you know that's that's a crazy story. What yeah. happened to the guy? The guy he's in jail still, right? Yeah, he did twenty five years. He was his seventh DUI. Uh he had lost his <laughs> License like Jesus three years Christ. before. Yeah. He thought he was in. No- he thought he was in uh, Southern Connecticut. Yeah, it and was. How many um, lives that Chris saved by making that guy go in? Yeah. Yeah. Right. <clears throat> yeah, it was pretty remarkable. Wow. Um, interesting tidbit also about that story is the cop who arrested the guy that night. <laughs> fast forward two years when Chris, maybe a year and a half. I don't know yeah. how long. Chris had relapsed really bad, and Colin and I, we were living at the same house, had to call the police on him, and because um, he was just out of control, wasted, and wreaking havoc around town, and he finally came back to our house, and well, finally we he, called... Hold on. How was Chris wreaking, wreaking havoc, havoc around town? Yeah, I, I mean, he was driving around, wasted. Um, he... Drunk. And on acid. And yeah, on acid. He was tripping acid, right? at acid, wasted. I don't know exactly what he was doing. I do remember getting a phone call from him, though, that... He was at a gas station and he called me and said that, I can't use 
I use first names, right? Yeah. Well, he, uh, so a guy we know who's a young, you sober guy. You said Mary Kate. You said Chris. Right, right. Okay. Said all right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. So this guy, Josh, we knew who you know ran these sober houses, saw Chris at a gas station and must have known something was up. Chris was on acid. He's wasted. I think he probably took one look at him. I think Chris he was had hiding puke. under the steering wheel. There was all over his car. Wait, what's that? He was like curled up under the steering right, wheel. Right, so he must have saw Chris curled up under the steering wheel. He had projectile vomited all over his car. <laughs> he knew something was up, and so he comes up to the window and knocks on the window, and Chris wouldn't even look at him because he knew who he was, knew he was like a, a sober guy in the area, ran a sober house. So instead, Chris calls me, <laughs> and I answer the phone. We're, I'm like, dude, where are you? And he's like... Josh is looking at me. I'm like, I'm like, what do you mean? I was like, Josh is looking at me. He's like, yeah, he's outside my window. What do I do? I'm like, well, you should probably talk to him, dude. And he was like, okay, should I roll the window down? I'm like, yeah, roll the window down. And so he rolls the window down and ends up handing the phone to Josh. I get on the phone with Josh, and um, you know, Josh says, like, yeah, Chris isn't doing very good. And so Josh ends up driving Chris back to our house. Yep. And we bring Chris in. He's just shit-faced, tripping, wasted. We end up actually reached out to you, Tim, because we weren't sure what to do. And you were like, call the police. And so we call the police. So the same cop who comes to arrest Chris because we needed to get Chris under control, was actually the cop that arrested the guy two years prior in the DUI. At, in the DUI. And Chris was the one, and Chris and I were the ones like coordinating with the cop. So it's just interesting, kind of full circle. Right when the cop came in, he's like, I know you, and Chris recognized him too. And it was just yeah. a pretty crazy scene. That is crazy. So I ended up driving Chris's uh, vomit-soaked car for like three weeks because my car just <laughs> broke it down. So I was literally driving around his car with like vomit covered uh, all I over remember it. Chris talked about this, I think, a bunch of times on and off Dopey, and he said that there was so much vomit that years later... Still, he was still finding French fries and yeah. stuff, he you know, said, his right? His seek button is permanently right. outward. You have to press it really hard to like push it's it fossilized. in. It's like oh. literally fossilized outward. You have to like oh. crunch it in to with, like with seek vomit. a new track with yeah. vomit, yeah. Oh. Well, there you go. Yeah. Um, who's, who's, who's... Alex, you got one? Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, well... Alright. I feel like mine aren't as funny. Dude, uh, the ones that are in my head, anyway. Yeah, I know. I know. I know that Chris would love for you to tell anything about him. And you can also just talk about him. Yeah. It doesn't have to be a funny yeah. story. No. You saw him in his underwear more than anybody. I did. I absolutely did. Um, well, I wanted to talk about, like, when I first met Chris. Because um, I had told it at the funeral, or not the, the wake, uh, earlier to Dylan um, and someone else. But... So I was in treatment, and I was, like, uh, I don't know what the right word is, but, like, I was, like, totally engrossed in this, like, the mind-body-spirit program of the treatment, and the guy who, like, ran that at the time um, I found super helpful. And I would dog? Yeah, the dogs, yeah. Um, And uh, I found super helpful, and I would go, and I would talk to him, like, you know, not in a in like a class or anything but like after class or whatever you know I'd go and like I'd hang out in his office and I'd talk to him and he one time when I was talking to him was like you know like I know this guy he reminded me so much of him and I think you guys would like get along really well and I think like you know I'm gonna put you in contact with him and like he gave me Chris's number and I called you know I called him we talked on the phone a couple times and then he came and picked me up for to take me to like a yoga class um and he gets there, and he's driving this, like, super shitty car, um, and, like, one of the first things he tells me is, like, you know, my car's tires, like, they're, they're really bald, like, you know, just, like, <laughs> just to let you know. And, um, <laughs> and, like, it's, like, winter, and there's snow on the ground, and, uh, 
And so we started driving, right? And within, I don't know, like five, 10 minutes, um, we go down this, this hill and immediately his car just swerves off the road and goes straight towards a telephone pole. And we stopped like literally like a foot before the telephone pole, you know? And I'm looking at Chris and I'm like, holy shit, dude. And he just starts fucking laughing, you know? And like, I, I it's just funny, you know, thinking back to that because it was like at that moment, like, I'm like kind of like just a scared person in general. Like I was like, you know, newly sober, like hanging out with someone I'm sober. I don't know how to be with someone sober, you know, and like just like nervous about that, you know, meeting this guy for the first time. And like we almost crash his car, you know, and uh, um, and, and he's, he's just like laughing. laughing. Like laughing was his response to that, you know, and like I remember like looking at him and just like thinking to myself like, wow, like this guy's so much fun, you know, like, <laughs> like holy shit, like um, – and then we wound up going out to eat, and then we both discovered how much eat, each other like to eat food, um, which sounds weird, but we we both really like to eat food a lot. Um, and to this day, I've like besides apart from my immediate family, I have never eaten as many meals with another person <laughs> as I have with him. You know, and it's just it was just the best. You know, like we lived together for like probably like two and a half years or maybe something like that. And um, he, you know, and like it would literally like for months on end, our day, my day would start. I would wake up in the morning and I would go like pretty much run to Chris's room, wake him up and be like, you want to go get breakfast, you know? And like, and his answer was always, of course. And, you know, we'd go to get breakfast and that would just start our day. And then like we would be like just hanging out for the rest of the day. Um, and, uh, I'm sorry. So then uh, this works into my second story where I like, so that was like in a timeline, probably like almost six years ago. And then when me and Chris started living together, it was about, I don't know, like four, four years ago, something like that. And, um, and so like we, we knew each other pretty well, but like, you know, we, we hadn't lived together yet. And then when he, I remember he was over our house and he was about to move in. And he's sitting at the, the, like, living room table. And uh, I remember sitting down with him. And, like, again, at this point, like, although I was, like, sober for a little while, like, I was, like, super nervous to be around people and to talk to people, you know, and, like, meet new people and everything. And, like, I hadn't seen Chris in a long time. Um, and anyway, like, so I sit down. And, like, I forget how we got on this topic. But, like, it was the first thing we talked about was – like, Chris said something to the effect of, like, how he felt uncomfortable being around people and, like, talking to people and, like, how that was a real problem for him when he was growing up in school and everything. And I was, like, and I remember relating to him there. And, like, and I, I just think that that's, like, for some reason to me, it's an important thing that, like, we related on this level of, like, you know, it was, like, apart from our drug addiction because, like, then, like, after that, like, you know, like, when we started talk going into, like, our stories and everything and stuff, like, uh, you know, although our stories were incredibly different, it's funny because, you know, me and you, Dave, were talking about, like, you were describing addiction as, like, a monster that pulls you back. And I always thought of it as, like, the darkness, you know? And, like, and I always thought, especially with Chris, that, like, my darkness, like, it just resembled his darkness so much, you know? And I know that all of ours does, but, like, there was a, something... 
that I could just relate to and like how he related to substances, you know, like, and I, for me, it was always like this light switch. I always thought of it, you know, like the, the second, no matter what substance it was, like the second I ingested a substance, it was just like a light switch went off in my brain and I just couldn't, I wouldn't do anything else besides get high. Um, and Chris was very much like that, you know, and it's funny. And so like, so we started becoming friends because we both related on like kind of feeling like outcasts and as we grew up and then, once we started getting to know each other's like story and everything, we, I felt like we related on a different level in our drug addiction and everything. And then, you know, over time and like getting to know each other super well and spending so much time together, it was like, you know, our, our sobriety then became that, that thing that we had in common, you know, right. and like our lives getting better and changing and evolving. And, um, you know, I realize I'm getting away from stories. No, but this is good. Why don't you talk, because you said a lot of stuff to me the last couple of days about um you know this is i want this to be uplifting and everything yeah. but it's very sad we lost we lost one of our best friends and he was all of one of our best friends you know i've heard yeah. him talk about each of you excessively i mean you guys went on trips together all over the place mm-hmm. and uh, you said some stuff to me over the past couple days about you know what you had anticipated your friendship was going to look like and then mm-hmm. what what happened you know what was today like for you you know how did it feel it's funny because last night, um, you know, I listened to the last episode of Dopey. I was in bed listening to it with my girlfriend, and um, and we both were having a really tough time with it. You know, especially as it like evolved the story and everything. And um, and I, I like I was just I had a tough time with it. And I like immediately, I knew that I like should call somebody. You know, so I called up Dylan and I started talking to him, and. Um, and we, like, started talking about how, like, we felt like all of the, these, like, ceremonies and things that were happening now and these, like, you know, the sadness and, and everything, like, how, like, all of these things are more for us than for Chris, you know. And um, today, it's, it's funny because I, I was, like, dreading, you know, if it was an open casket or something and I, and, and I saw it was and I was like, oh, fuck, you know, and, like, this is just going to be awful, you know. I don't want to see him like this. And then... And then all of a sudden, you know, like, I saw him, and, like, I didn't... I felt sadness, but, in like, it was different than I expected. Because you know? it wasn't him. It wasn't him. Yeah, exactly. I didn't, I didn't like... It, for some reason, it was just I didn't feel anything towards the body that was in there, you know? It was, like, I felt like... Like, although it's my friend, it's not my friend. Like, my friend's somewhere else, you know? I don't know where he is, but it's, like, he wasn't in that room, it felt like. But his parents were, you know? And, like, his sister and his brother. And, like, I knew them all very well, and, like... To just to talk to them and, you know, for, to hear from them that, like, they, how they thought, like, I was this positive influence on Chris's life and, like, all of us was really great. But for me, the most important thing was to, like, it, make sure they understood that although, yeah, like, we as a community offered Chris so much, like, it, it only worked because Chris offered us so much, you know? And, like, you know, it was it, Chris, like offered and gave so much of himself to us and like we we're all better people because of it and it was like super important for me whether or not like his parents heard me because they were super upset but whether or not they heard me to, to know that like Chris did something for like you know for us and for my life that you know is, is forever changed in a positive way and like you know I mean it just it means the world to me so I hope it meant something to them you know I think I think it definitely did, and I know that um, that I knew Chris 
like right before he kind of like was part of you know the, your group really was formed like I met Chris when he was like he was in treatment for like three months I walked in and he was like the mayor of treatment but isolated mayor like with these saucer eyes and just like hello like something out of like taxi you know some like character out of taxi who was and when he talked to you he talked to you forever and then when you didn't see him you might not see him for four days yeah you know in a week and then he's back and he you know he he dealt with people on his own terms and i remember when he got in with you guys he changed and it was very beautiful because i could you could see him getting his people like his tribe and and for chris he was a man without a fucking country he was a loner and he found you guys, and you found him, and it was uh, it was very beautiful, you yeah. know. Mm-hmm. And um, and then I got to you know reconnect with him, and we got to do this show. And um, another thing that his parents said to me, because I I went to Todd's Todd's parents after Todd died, and uh, and his parents looked at me because me and Todd did the worst shit together. You know, we got high more than I got high with anybody, and and Todd didn't get out of it, and I did, and there was no happy to see me. It was, it was Dave. I'm glad that you got your life back, but you were, ve- you and Todd were very bad for each other, and it felt terrible. And I felt that when I was going to see Chris's family, that I was going to feel feel the same way, even though it was the opposite. I never got high with yeah. Chris. You know, we did something really positive, but it, I felt the same feeling. And when I went up to the parents, they said, "This funeral home said they've gotten more sign-ins from the guest book than anyone in the history of this place." because of Dopey, and it was international response because of what, how Chris affected the, you guys who are listening, you know what I mean? And it's like, how powerful is that, yeah. you know? And we lost our, our brother and our friend, but like, he was so generous with, with, with us and with the, the listeners, and I just, you know, and Alex, I appreciate what you said, and Alex, you also said something else that was just so beautiful. He said, Alex said, I expected to have a life with him where I would see him raise kids, and I would raise kids, and he would be in my life, and I think we all felt like that. Um, But the weird thing is, he was such a a fucking terrible addict, a lot of other people didn't think that would ever happen for him. But for some reason, we thought it would happen. You know, like, that's a conundrum in a way, don't you think? Totally. And uh, something I just want to add, too, which is especially apparent today, is that, like, Chris, he he comes from such love. I mean, his family, I don't know if he talked about his family a lot in the show. No, he did. I mean, his Mm. parents and his sister (laughs) and his brother, they are just unbelievable Mm. people. I've always known that about them. I've always just thought the world of them. But seeing them today next to the casket, you know, going up there and just, like, you know, I'm sobbing in their arms, and they are just saying, you know, and I can't even imagine what's going on in their heads. You know, they just lost their son, and he's, he's right there behind them. And oh. but they, what they were saying to me, and what they're saying to his friends, mm-hmm. like they were just offering they so, so much grace, love, so much, yeah, so much grace so and strength for us yeah. to be his friend. I mean, they are just unbelievable people, mm-hmm. and I think that that's a lot of, you know, that's where obviously where Chris gets that from. He comes from incredible love, mm-hmm. like love that you don't see very. I used to always tell him that, that like, dude, you come from an unbelievable family. Like Colin and I are always like telling stories about how and fucked he, up our families are. And like, you know, all families have their issues, mm. but he, I, I can't, it's just unbelievable like the amount of love he comes from. Mm-hmm. His parents, his brother, sister, they're just incredible people. Mm-hmm. That was something that I always said to him about art, about Dopey, was that we both, one of the things that I thought made Dopey so special is because 
our, our families were really good, solid families, and we knew how the stuff we did fucked them up, so we knew how wrong it was. So when we told a story about the dumb shit we did, we knew every box it would check off to fuck up a normal sensibility. Yeah. And I feel like it created these weird boundaries, and I just thought yeah. that was like one of the big push and pulls of, uh, of the show. Um, Caitlin, what do you got? Oh, my gosh. <clears throat> so... Um, a couple of things have come to mind, but, um, and Will and I were actually like laughing about it either today in the car or yesterday, but, um, I feel like there have been a lot of moments recently where I'll just start, sorry, where I just start laughing about something, thinking about him. And one of the things that I remember about him was being when we were in Southampton right before he had started school his mom had given me his credit, her credit card to take him shopping for back to school shopping. And Chris has like, I don't even know, like 50 white Costco t-shirts and like these new, these like, these like new balance shoes that we realized had a a screw in, like in the bottom, like embedded (laughs) in the bottom of it. And we only realized that when he went and bought a new pair of sneakers, but he insisted on buying the same exact New Balance sneakers that he had had on. And when we went to Brooks Brothers to pick out shirts, I wanted him him to try them on so that I could see, because I I don't know, I felt like a mom, right? So I'm like trying to get him. He's like, I really don't, it's fine. I'll just, I don't want to try it on. I'll just get it. Um, So I forced him to buy all of these clothes. And like two weeks later... I go to the house and I'm like, oh my gosh, so like, what do you think of your new outfits? And all his shit is just sitting in the bags, like against the side, <laughs> the side of the wall. The only thing he's worn is his New Balance shoes. Um, but that that also bleeds into my next story, which is that um, I cut I cut Chris's hair. I cut a lot of the guy's hair here, and. Um, one of the things that I remember about Chris is he he never wanted me to fuss. Like in the beginning, he'd let me shampoo him, and then I think once I had turned him down for that date, he, he was like, he, Fuck yeah, he was like, he was like, no, no more, no more, sh- no more shampoos. Yeah, he he wouldn't let me shampoo him anymore. But I remember he'd come into the um, salon and. You know, I'd ask him what do you want because I, I usually ask these guys what they want, and um, he's like, I, I don't care, I, I don't care. Because he, you he really him. no, because he really honestly didn't care. Like Chris, in the <laughs> yeah. middle of his, no, in the mid, I mean, it goes yeah. back to like the Costco shirt, and like he just, <clears throat> he just didn't care. It was so funny, and so he would be sitting in the middle of a haircut, and I'd be half. I mean, I would, I've only done like half of his head, and he's like, all right, it's fine, and he'd start putting his hands through it and sh- and shaking his Fuck hair. He just didn't he really honestly like could give two shits which i actually really really admire about him i used I, to tell chris just real quick what you're saying he used to i used to tell him he reminded me of peter gibbons from office <laughs> Space, and he told me that was the biggest compliment he's ever <laughs> seen so, like, he just never he just never gave a shit about anything but i think that was him giving a shit i think the idea right. of him wearing one of the shirts that caitlin picked out which he was actually wearing on the this past fourth of july yeah. i was like hey chris nice shirt he's like Thanks, I got it from Brooks Brothers, and it was actually one of the shirts that I had picked out for him. I was so pumped. It was this green, this green shirt from Brooks Brothers. Like shirt. Yes. See, when Chris would come to do Dopey, before I mean, he I don't know when the slip happened, but there was a moment where he was coming to do Dopey. He was in khakis. He was in. I didn't even. I'm so stupid. I didn't even know it was Brooks Brothers. I'd be like, "What's that pig on your shirt?" He'd be like, "That's Brooks Brothers." And I'd be like, "Oh." And his hair would be nice. Yeah. And he'd be like fit, and he was getting his shit together, and he was starting to get comfortable being more than just 
Kirkland white tees. Kirkland yeah. fuck up. Like, I, I, I see it as like <laughs> a fuck up. Don't slash. forget the Miles Davis shirt. Oh, right. that was to give him street cred. But like, I think that it's a little bit like fear of who he could be and a little bit Albert Einstein. Yeah. Albert Einstein wore the same outfit every day because he wanted to have time to contemplate more important things yeah. than what he wore. Yeah. I mean, Chris, maybe? A yeah. little? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, it's not yeah. that much of a stretch. And tell the, the so, so going back to to the hair. So when I had, when Chris and I had first like initially gotten close, um, my mom had actually passed away, and um, Chris had shown up to the funeral, and he had apparently just woken up from a nap and like jumped out of bed to come. And he was going down the line introducing himself to my family and my entire family was, you know, asking like the people who are coming through the line how they how they knew me. And Chris had told my older brother that I did his hair. And Chris's hair looked like such shit at the funeral. I mean, it was so fucking mortifying. And I just remember looking down the line and my older brother elbowing my other brother and like pointing at Chris. And after the funeral, my brother said that he had gotten, I mean, considering it was such a like, I don't know, like a sad experience, they got like a really big laugh out of the fact that Chris came through the line looking as disheveled as he did, With saying that I did. It was so bad. I mean, I don't even think he looked in the mirror before he walked <laughs> yeah. in the door. It was so bad. But, but I mean, but he had... my wedding. He wore a hair helmet to my wedding. His hair was literally just poofing in the air. And he made a joke. He was like, yeah, dude, I got my hair done just for your wedding. He shows up and he's like a fro, just poofed. <laughs> total hair album. I mean, he literally just didn't. Yeah, it but was, that was so. That was his shtick. His yeah. shtick oh was nonstick. Yeah. You yeah. know, nonstick shtick. I mean, it was fucking. But it was beautiful. Yeah. It was. It was so beautiful and so, and so like self-effacing. And if he had done it any other way, he wouldn't have known who he was. He needed to like reflect against you rather than be like him. I, I would ask him all sorts of questions and be like. Dude, like that Miles Davis shirt, man, it was torn up. I was like, how many Miles Davis records do you know? And he was like, fuck you. I think his brother gave him the shirt or something. No, yeah. Urban Outfitters. Nice. Uh, please, please. Yeah, just in line of that. So Chris would probably, in the entire time I've known him, has only made his bed maybe like three times. <laughs> so he, every time he moved, he, he, make, trick, he would make his bed... <clears throat> Once he moved and he would make it so tight that you couldn't lift the blankets up and he every single night would sleep on top of the of the bed with like this rag raggy blanket that you throw like underneath the bed. So and we I asked him, I'm like, why don't you just get under the covers? And he's like, Man, like I'm too lazy to make a bed every day. Might as well make it once and just But that's sleep. so interesting too because he was obsessed with the fact that his bed was made. Oh yeah. Yeah. If, yes. if he told you about He was it, like a little O C D too. Yeah. He was. Which is like, yeah. Like total germaphobe. Yeah. Like the little things would gross him out. Tell that gas station story. <laughs> The, the, with the, the vape, like, like I, I, we, me and Chris did hours and hours and hours of dopey, and I didn't have a vape, but I always wanted to hit his vape, and he would always give me the look, yeah. the stink eye when I'm hitting his vape, and then he would take it back and start cleaning it off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, with like a disappointing look. And he just like he'd be like, and he knew that I, I, I like was gonna do it no matter what, like because I don't have, I have boundary problems, and so does he, but like. 
I always felt bad that he did that, but you just told this story about like he went to some gas station and like some dude is vaping or some dude asked him what he what was the story. No, it was, it was oh yeah, yeah. sorry. So he, I forget where we were, but you know we went to a gas station, and he was really excited about this vape flavor that he had, and um, and uh, he's like he's you know he's ripping it in the gas station, he's like buying a seltzer or whatever, and the gas station attendant didn't even ask him. He was like. He's like, you vape, man? And the guest is like, uh, kind of. He's like, cookie crisp, man. You want to check it out? It's <laughs> <laughs> like dirty gas station attendant just like fucking like took it to vape and like ripped it and then they gave it back to him. And I was like, dude, like what the what? fuck? Yeah. <laughs> it was just like, the, he was so OCD about cleanliness and shit and it was just the most random thing. He also though had a, a thing for like being really <clears throat> generous in places that like normal people wouldn't be. Like he like made like like he gave every homeless person money. Like it made me crazy. Like frankly, <laughs> he, he would just be giving out money, and he, it's like he's not really making money. He's giving out money, and then like he's getting like. Did you guys hear the story? I mean, Dopey fans know the story. It's like my favorite story where there was a homeless guy who lived right near where he moved to in Boston named Frank, and uh, and Chris was trying to impress this girl. Uh, and he offered to do a podcast with her about the plight of the homeless, and he called oh, yeah, it Lonely yeah. Space. Yeah. <laughs> so, so he gave Frank fifty bucks to come record with him and the girl, and uh, at his parents' apartment <laughs> in Boston, his parents' a beautiful apartment. He brings the homeless guy up with his girlfriend at the time, and. Um, and then afterwards, he's like, "You were great, man." Uh, and he, and he, the guy's like, I, "I run a copy of the of my recording." And Chris is like, "No problem, man. I got you." <laughs> and every day, Chris would walk past this guy named Frank. He'd be like, "Hey, Frank." He'd be like, "Hey, man. Do you have that copy of the podcast we did?" And Chris would be like, "Sorry, man. I don't have it." And he'd give him money. And Chris would always <laughs> laugh. He'd be like, "What? Frank is gonna get a flash drive for me? I'm gonna, <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna give him a YouTube link." <laughs> but it was just like, it's just like so fucking funny. All right, I got a story about him. So we're every time we were walking around Great Barrington, I always remember Chris would always say hello to everyone we passed. <laughs> yeah, when I was like always like admired it because you know like I see people you make eye contact, you smile or something, you know, and like but he would actually like take it a step further and he'd be like, hey, how you doing? You know, like we just keep walking. And I think that he, I wound up like finding out later on that I think he got that because. His parents own the house in the Caribbean, and I remember when we were on, we were there one time. He's like, "Man, like this place is awesome. Everybody just says hello to each other all the time." <laughs> like, um, <laughs> but um, but there was one time I remember we we just left like a breakfast place, you know, where we're like we're all walking to a car, and like Chris, I remember was in the mode where he would you know he would always get a sweet with his breakfast, like he would do the like a breakfast burrito or something, and then he get a sweet on the side, like. Like right, calling like a pancake on the side, side, side cake, um, and I just you know like he was like feeling good. We're like laughing, right? We're joking around, and this like you know like Great Barrington gets a lot of like uh, second homeowners and like people from New York City and stuff. So this guy is like kind of walking past us, and he's got like just like this super pretentious hat on, and it's like these sunglasses, and like it looks like so like uppity and stuff. And Chris is like ripping his vape, and he's like, "What's up, man?" <laughs> <laughs> and we just kept walking, and I was like, I just started cracking up, and we were like, Chris, like him, he didn't know what to do with that. <laughs> Chris, and, 
No, and it's so funny about Chris. Like he, Chris was just like a dude who, for us who know Chris well, like he always had a smile on his face. Like you could see, Chris, I would walk into Chris's room, he'd be by himself, like watching TV, not even knowing I'm looking at him, just like a smile on his face. And so he just has a permanent smile on his face. And so my wife, it's so funny when before she knew him, when she would see him in AA, before like she, you know we got together and we started hanging out, she legitimately thought he was like intellectually disabled because he just always had this like <laughs> smile on his face she honestly thought that he was just like kind of like the special that was the word she used she's like I always thought Chris was like a little special I think the word she used was retarded she used retarded okay. I just didn't know if we could say that wait, wait, wait. I, <laughs> <laughs> yeah she used the word retarded Chris I was talking to your wife a second ago and she is we, he's half retarded and half genius yes you know and it's like Exceptionally retarded. Yeah, exceptionally he's the king retarded. of the retard. Well, yeah. he would do this thing when he would laugh, where he would like his eyes would get big, and he'd go <laughs> yeah, <laughs> before yeah. he actually like he would he would like yeah. laugh with his mouth closed before he'd like it was I can't even yeah. obviously like reproduce it, but like I can picture it in my head. And he was always like slow to respond to things. Like he was <laughs> he was always there for me. Like whenever I was going through tough times, like. Like I would talk to I'd talk to him and Ted about it, but like it would take probably like three minutes for him to respond. So I tell him some like horrific stuff that I'd be going through, and he'd just be like sitting there with a smile on his face, with that <laughs> grin, and then just be like, "Wait, man, I wasn't paying attention. What are you saying?" <laughs> yeah. And it would it would infuriate me. I'd have to break yeah. through the smile before I could get to him actually like getting real. He made me crazy. <laughs> but also like as he descended back into using. Like, there, one thing that Chris always did was, like, if you're on the phone with him, he, he would be talking to you, and then he'd be like, what are you doing? Because he wasn't listening to what you were you're talking yeah. to him, and he'd say, what are you doing? Because he'd need you to reset the conversation so he could start at a new point in the conversation. <laughs> and then he'd start asking questions that he doesn't care about the answers. <laughs> he would do that all the time, and I'd be like, why, Chris? Why are you asking me that? You don't care. I told you the answer to this question six million times, and you don't care. So ask me something you care about, or tell me what you're doing. And he would be like, oh, sorry, man. You know, he was was so He was an animal. I got a good segue. Good. Introduce yourself, please. Hey, Dopey Nation, this is Tim. Uh, Known as T-Dub way back on a, I don't even know what episode number, but... uh, the best story I have about Chris is on that episode, so Dave can refer you all back to it, um, which is when he was in treatment and I was running the treatment center, and he would come into my office every day. In fact, his mom today at the wake, first thing she said to me was, oh my God, I'll never forget when, you, when Chris came into your office and you told him he was just amusing. <laughs> so the, anyway, the story is much better than that. But he would literally take up, well, Chris would take up easily a half an hour of my day. I'm, so I'm running, a, I'm running a nut house, right? Anyone who's ever been in residential treatment out there in Dopey Land? And I'm running this place, and every day is just madness, true madness, just human beings being complete idiots constantly. And that's just the staff. And, um, and Chris would Mary come Kate. in. This is Mary Kay. Yeah, exactly, and the other one. And, uh, and Chris would come in my office, and I had an open-door policy, and I'd he would sit down and he would rant for a half an hour straight. Just no, he wouldn't take a breath. And it would all be about him trying to convince me that he was smarter than everybody else, that he knew more about addiction than anybody else, that he knew exactly what he needed to get sober, uh, why this was bullshit and that was bullshit. 
And I would just sit and listen and smile, probably the same stupid smile he gives all of us. <laughs> and then finally, he gets so frustrated because I wouldn't really respond. And then I'd say, no, dude, you're just here for my amusement. This is just pure amusement for me. It's a half an hour of my day that I don't have to fucking think about anything else because you're fucking unbelievably stupid. <laughs> because of how brilliant you are. And you can't get out of your own way. And I, I live for this. So come on back tomorrow. <laughs> so the fact that his mom greeted me today with that, I just, it, it was beautiful. It was truly, it was truly beautiful. Um, he loved to hear people say that kind of thing to him. Yeah. yeah. You told him he was retarded. Yeah. He was like he so it. excited. Yes. Yeah. And he was like, that was the greatest thing he could hear. Yeah. So this, the segue about Chris's exceptional retardation is my son at the time seven right? Four years ago? Five, three years ago? I don't know. Um, seven years old. Uh, scarily, maybe too much like Chris already. Um, he, uh, he comes over to Dylan's house and, you know, we in and out of there all the time. And uh, Chris is on the couch in his sweats. It's three o'clock in the afternoon, probably. And he doesn't get up. He's like, hey, you know, hey, you know, says hi to my son. And uh, we walk out of the room and my son's like, is he always on the couch, dad? <laughs> He's like, yeah, pretty much. Is, is he okay? <laughs> He's Chris. He's good. And literally, the next time I go to Dylan's house, which is probably months later with my son, Chris is on the couch <laughs> in the same sweatpants, probably same shirt. And my son, without missing a beat, just goes right up to him and says, hey, guy on the couch. <laughs> right. Like just right where you're supposed to be, man. Like he just knew that that was Chris. That was his spot. And the, the heartbreak of this is um, my kids have been through uh, a couple of losses um, somebody mentioned Josh earlier who found Chris hidden in his car. Um, we lost Josh a few years back. So my kids um, are growing up in this epidemic, right? My kids are growing up in this, in this just, you know. Around the population. Just, just the fact that people are dying like crazy. And a few have, a few really, really close people we've lost to addiction. And they don't know that yet. I think they're starting to figure it out. They're 11 years old now. I have twins. And... When my wife asked me uh, the other day, are you going to tell the kids? All I could think of was how much my son loved Chris as he was, right? And that's my point of maybe my son being too much like Chris. It's terrifying. Because <laughs> that's what Chris was to me. Like, Chris, as crazy as he would make me, not make me, but as crazy as I would get listening to his just psychobabble bullshit yeah. <laughs> trying to convince himself that he was smarter than this thing um, the one thing I've got to see Chris do over and over and over and over and over is care unconditionally yeah. about every human being who came into his life mm. so the fact that my son and Chris had just that little bit I couldn't I, couldn't, I was like there's no way I can tell Bodie that He's Chris gone. is gone mm. I can't I don't know if I ever will you know, because he hasn't seen him in a couple of years. So he wouldn't even, but if I told him, remember that guy on the couch? <clears throat> I, it, would, it would devastate him. I know it. And that's amazing to me to, like, in a nutshell, that 
you know, we know that kids are so innocent and they are attracted to innocence. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. And that to me is like Chris's exceptional retardation. He was right? so childlike. He was mm-hmm. so blissfully ignorant to his brilliance. Mm-hmm. He was, because he truly tried to play the role of being the idiot. Mm. But at the, at the same time, though, it's like something I noticed as, as we got to the end of his life, which is just so horrific to say, you know, because here we are, we're enjoying this man who we loved, like the best of him and, and the, the joy of being around him and the fun of, of laughing at him and him laughing with us. It was, it was infectious, you know. Mm. And um, as he was falling apart, one thing I noticed was he stopped talking about you know, spiritual things. He stopped talking about what he was about and he started giving psychobabble on the show. He replaced all of his self-knowledge and who he was with stuff he was, you know, out of a book and it was becoming very bullshitty, you know? And it's like, that's how I, you could see him drifting and it's just like, um, you know, we, I think a lot of us who are here said, what's up, man? You're drifting. What's going on? And he, and I also have to tell the Dopey Nation that everybody here in this room is in recovery. All, yeah. all of Chris's best friends were in recovery, and that's fucking substantial. You know, that's a substantial fact. And we're all here uh, at his funeral and at his wake sober after he overdosed. And so I think he had a lot of shame, you know. To, no doubt about it. Yeah. And, and, no doubt just, about it. And, and there was shame, and then there was also, he, he, his life was the, the best it had ever been, and then he got to get high at the same time. And what a seductive <coughs> thing that is. You know, it really, it really is. Yeah. Listening to that, um, the last two episodes today on my drive out here. And first, the most recent with you and Annie, and, the, and then after that one, starting to listen to his last one. When he sounds like shit. And I just couldn't, first of all, I thought it was natty. Because <laughs> I got into it, like, it, it started, like, 15 <coughs> minutes into it or something. I was like, what the hell is natty doing on this? But it was Chris, so just that alone, his voice being so different, mm. shook me. And then um, hearing him say some, I can't remember what he said, but he said something about the, along the lines of just like the typical Chris, like, I care about you all out there in Dopey Nation. And in a way that would have been um, not profound, but just very simple, matter of fact. And it caught me, and again, this is all hindsight, right? Sure. This is all hind- after listening to the whole episode with you two, um, describing what it had been like, especially these last couple of days. It, it hit me like we never, ever, ever, ever know. Mm. We never truly ever know how diabolically um, <clears throat> full of shit we're capable of being. Yeah. Mm. and the fact that every single person in this room, I have no doubt, expressed some concern to Chris at some point. I have no doubt. In some way. He was already on, on his way, yeah. right? He was already yeah. on his way. And I've heard so many different people respond to this tragedy and another tragedy that I... Um, another you know, relapse into uh, OD death recently that, you know, but how can we, how can we trust any of this? Like it happens to such great people like this. And I, I just hope that all the folks out there in Dopey Nation, every single one of you know that 
you suffer from something I call you're sincerely full of shit, SFOS. Right? Mm-hmm. It's my own diagnostic. <laughs> we, I suffer from it. And the people who are closest to us know it better than anybody. Yet, we still can't necessarily catch it because of how exceptionally retarded we all are. Right. Right? <laughs> we really have this gift to convince ourselves that we're not sick. And so when, when I hear people say, like, I can't, you know, I can't wrap my head around why, you know, why, how, come, how can this happen? Um, I think it boils down to what you said about shame, right? As soon as we know, as soon as we do catch ourselves being sincerely full of shit, that shame cloud just completely consumes us. So my challenge to all of us is own your shame constantly. Mm-hmm. Have someone in your life. To you, who you can own your shame with. To keep you safe. To keep you safe. To keep you honest. To keep, yeah. and, and it's not about telling the truth all the time. Be full of shit. Be gleefully full of shit. <laughs> uh-huh. But when you know you're being sincerely full of shit, when you're starting to believe your own bullshit, go to that person who you know understands your shame and tell them, I'm ashamed. And you don't even have to say why, you know? And we were talking about this today, too. Like, wouldn't it be wonderful if we truly had an anonymous place for all of us to go, that we could be truly anonymous and just say, I feel ashamed of myself, right? And stay there as long as it took to let that shame wash off a little bit. One would argue that it's the 12-step fellowships. But it's not really anonymous. But it's not really, unless you go somewhere they don't know you. But if you've been around a long time, you go, you're known everywhere, right? So find that place. <clears throat> find that place. Know it up front. <clears throat> Take out the insurance policy now. You know, I know that I can go to this man right here. I'm pointing at Dylan, by the way. With anything, anytime. And he will carry my shame for me. I, think, I know, he, I know it. Don't you think, though, that Chris, Chris knew that? There, there's something else there. Yes, well... There's a whole other layer we talked about a little bit, too. And, and I think the physical pain that you guys were talking about that he was in mm. is, you know, we know that we are, we are sensitives. We are sensitive to all discomfort. We are babies. We do not like being dis- no. in any type of discomfort. Especially Chris. Any, <laughs> any <laughs> kind of discomfort. <laughs> right? Except for the extreme discomfort of active addiction. Right, the extreme discomfort of running a fucking Iron Man off the couch. Sorry, I'm just giving Dylan lots of nods here. Um, <laughs> we self-imposed discomfort, but any external discomfort we have zero tolerance for. So that pain that he was in physically, that he couldn't treat, and then eventually, I, I agree with what you were saying, is he found something that he shouldn't have taken, quote unquote, to treat that pain, just to get a night's sleep, just to get through a minute without that pain. I think there's the, to be an opiate addict and to have pain, it's like you know that this thing is going to make you feel, feel, alleviate your pain, but you also know that same thing was the secret to your whole life. Exactly. That it solved every problem exactly. you ever had. And that those two things at the same time, it's fucking terrifying. Right. Like I'm terrified of, of hurting myself. Uh, because of that, but that's also why, you know... We but that's the insurance, is what I'm saying. Exactly. Is up front, you know, I just had uh, significant pain recently, 
where I was in the hospital, in and out of the hospital for four days, getting IV antibiotics. And I called him and I called my sponsor, you know, Dylan and my, my, my sponsor, and said, I want drugs. I'm in pain. I need drugs, but I want drugs. Right. That's why I'm calling you. Did you take them? No. They said, great, go to the hospital. Take the drugs if you need to. <clears throat> but call us. Tell us what you're going to do. Did they offer you drugs? No, I told them I was a drug addict. <laughs> so they didn't give me so they didn't give me any drugs, right? And they knew to expect a call. So these are the things that I I I only know to own it up front because of how many people unfortunately I've seen not. And that's how we learn from each other. So if Chris leaves us anything, guys, own your shame. Own it. Mm-hmm. And if you can do so in such a way as to be a complete idiot like he was in a beautiful way, in a loving way, how much better and how much more powerful, right? To own your shame and know that someone's gonna help you. And I think that's his greatest, like the greatest flaw of Chris is that he was so caring about all of us that he forgot to, to care about himself. himself. Right. Yeah. Thank you, I appreciate that. Mark, you got one? Yeah, I guess so. <clears throat> Wait for this mic all night. Oh, God. Oh, man. Dopey Nation. Thanks, Tim. Um, uh, when you were talking about the insurance policy, taking that out, and uh, when I think about insurance, I think about like protecting against losses. And if we're talking about it in this context, basically having a confidant or somebody you can go to and talk about things like that, you're, I guess. I would be protecting myself, or I would be, what I'd be losing was my pride, and that's something I uh, could definitely live without. Living without Chris, I guess I don't have a choice, but when I first got into AA, he was the first person that actually gave me his number in this young people's meeting at, near the treatment center I went to, and a lot of the guys in this room were there too, and they said, "Oh, if this guy could get sober, like you could get sober too." <laughs> and I'm like, "I'm like, all right, <clears throat> okay, well, I have your number." And he, sure enough, he gave me his number. Um, first number I had, probably first person I thought about calling, but uh, a mutual friend of all of ours also worked at the treatment center, and she introduced me to Dylan and the guys, and and I was like. Uh, he had a room available and I wasn't sure if I was going to move in and like a couple weeks went by and I was finally getting towards the end of my stay at Mountainside where, where I uh, met all these fine folks and <clears throat> I finally <clears throat> meet with Dylan and I go in to the house we met whatever and uh, he's, he, you know, he said yeah you can move in and I was like sweet so I go upstairs and Chris is my He's right across the hall from me. And I didn't mean to interrupt Ted before, but when he was talking about Chris and his, uh, like, going in his door and him always having a smile on my face, I can remember every time I went home, like, his door was never always closed. It was, like, open, like, like an eighth of an inch, you know? It was kind of like that sign that, like, you're welcome to come in. And honestly, like, every time I got home, I would go up to the stairs and I'd get to the top of the stairs and I hear Star Trek or The Simpsons or something on his TV and like, yeah, <laughs> or him vaping, yeah. He's made bad. And uh, sometimes I'd have to knock. Other times he'd just like hear me coming, and, and I would go in there and we'd talk, whatever. But 
I don't know if any of you guys know this, but Chris was a, an animal lover. He was, he was one of the um, finest people that I saw take care of animals in my life. I don't know if you know about this. <laughs> but one time, one time, one time he... He put this picture on Facebook about a cat that he gave Benadryl. And and the cat had like some like white saliva on his mouth or something. And he was asking, like, cause I guess the vet told him you're supposed to put give the cat Benadryl if it was doing what this cat was doing. And he's like, I don't know what to do. It's walking funny. He's like, any suggestions? And all these people were like, Oh, you gotta go to this vet. They're the best in the in the state. And they recommended like vets or like different treatments. And I put, stop lying, that's semen. And like he he, he calls me up. He's like, dude, I, he's like, I don't even know what to say to that. And I was like, he just writes, wow, but we had this roommate, right? And he had a pug, and this dog was kind of like a weezer slash <laughs> puker. And I don't know if Chris did this on purpose or not, but like he agreed to babysit this Napoleon Mastiff that was like 195 pounds. <laughs> and like our roommate was kind of like, I guess he, he, he suffered from untreated alcoholism, if you will, but he was, he, he wasn't easy to get along with, put it that way. And uh, him, it was just him and his dog in the house if it was up to him, but he kind of uh, didn't tell this roommate of ours that he was, he was, house sitting this dog for a week <laughs> he comes in the door with this this horse looking dog and my roommate was like so shocked that, that this dog he's like he's like this is so and so he's like we're gonna be i gotta watch it for a week <laughs> like this this dog was like 200 times the size of this pug it was like if he stepped on you would kill him <laughs> and like Chris basically like left it there with the door shut for, for five days. And, and when we were bringing the dog back, I'll never forget, we get in the car to go drop this dog off. And we're, as soon as we pull out onto the main road, he like he accelerates to like 30, 35, 40 miles an hour. And he, he jams on the brakes. The dog, the dog almost was underneath the dashboard. Flew off the back seat. He just starts laughing, looking in the mirror. It was the funniest thing. Um, <laughs> and Chris, I don't know what where he came up with with this uh, this way, but he could not. He didn't know. I don't know if it's something he didn't learn because of his his special needs or whatever. But he, <laughs> he he couldn't put toilet paper on the toilet paper holder. So, like, we would share a bathroom for, like, two years. And, and every time I go in the bathroom, like, I notice when the roll is getting low. And I'd be like, I'll just go downstairs. I'll see if Chris is going to change. And he would always take a full roll and put it on top and leave the cardboard on the roll for, like, months and months and months. And, like, <clears throat> so finally <clears throat> I kept I, I changed it a couple times. And I'd see if he was going to do it. I'm like, yo, Chris, bro, you got to change the toilet paper when you're done. What's so hard about that? And he wouldn't do it. So I took the toilet paper holder off and I stuck it up in the blinds. And I hit it like that for like six weeks. He didn't, he never asked her anything about what happened to it. It was literally up in the blinds for like a year. And I, I wrote a sign, I had like a sign. I, I put like a C on one side and an M on the other side. And then my side was the full roll. And then I'll just put an empty cardboard tube on the other side. 
Um, and then the garbage in there, too, was another thing. Wait, that, so did, what did he do for toilet paper? I guess he used mine. <laughs> oh, that was Chris. He was Mark's and Chris. Yeah, mine was full and his was empty because he wouldn't change it. But Do you think all, he even knew one was his and one was yours? Or he was just like, it's ours? He was well, like, no, he knew it was ours, but he he laughed. But he the, with the garbage, like, we would like have this little like game it was kind of like Jenga but like with the garbage like you would stack it up in the corner until like it got so high that it would fall all over the floor but like <laughs> we had this little tiny garbage can that like I kept emptying and I got sick of emptying it but he would uh, fill it up fill it up so then I'd bring in another I brought in a five gallon bucket and that got filled up and it was like I don't know probably like 150 rolls of toilet paper in the garbage before we finally emptied it but it was like a game that we would play like chicken how, with who was going to yeah how, how tall we can make the stack um, he always claimed how neat he was well we like, were talking about it earlier in the car he had like Poland spring bottles uh, under his bed and I asked him what it was for and he told me that he was going to make a raft with it <laughs> Like, he had the entire yeah. underneath of the, of the <coughs> bed. Did you read it tonight? I don't know. Yes. Yeah. The eulogy? Yes. 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 Thousands of people here. Is it weird that it's before? No. Because no. we're not going to leave until next week. <clears throat> anyway, that makes an appearance. The bottom yes. right. Yes. <laughs> we yeah, we Will and I were just talking about that today. Um, another thing, though, about Chris, he claimed he was neat. But he was a total pig, and he, he would claim he would claim like superior neatness, like like we would be doing dopey, and there would be like we'd be the two of us were pigs, and it would be covered with with cookie boxes and chocolate and cans of soda, and he'd be like, "You're such a pig," and he'd start throwing everything out. He goes, "I need my space neat when I work," and then we'd leave, and he'd go, "Oh yeah, don't don't look in the back seat," and the back seat was literally a thousand bottles of flavored seltzer that he would discard, but I think in his head he thought it was clean because it was clear plastic. Like, there was no crumbs. I think it was the crumbs. He was, like, so OCD, yeah. you know? I mean, like, what was that about? Like, why did he think he was so neat? Well, you know what's interesting is that, the, and this is Dylan, um, there was, like, he got into different modes. If he was in a different situation, he would be a completely different person. So in his own room, it was pretty neat. In a shared bathroom, it was atrocious. But then, like, the main part of the house, he could have given a fuck about. Like, he never cleaned anything, <laughs> ever. But also, to his credit, he never messed anything up. He microwaved everything. He never used utensils. Paper he never used oils. Paper plates, everything. So he never had an impact, thus he never was blamed for anything. But, uh, but the second he started, like, doing a couple shifts for overnights after a while for us, he would clean up everything. He would, like, was super neat. He'd clean a bathroom. Like, when it was his responsibility and he knew it, he would do it. So he wasn't, like, unable to do these things. But it was like he would do everything in his power to avoid the responsibility of being told or asked to do it. But once it was, he would do it. But that was also him coming of age. Like Agreed. When he started doing those overnights, he knew he was the adult. And he relished it. And like that was the moment where you, you didn't think what happened was going to happen. Because he, he was doing everything right for a long time. Or at least most things right. No, agreed. You know? He just didn't have the insurance. He didn't have the insurance. And he just... He, he, and the insurance was no, no spiritual program, no very few meetings, very f just not doing all the, the kind of what do you call that? You know, all of the stuff necessary to to stay sober. Um, 
it's just, uh, it's so crazy because we're all here and, uh, and it's, I'm really glad we're doing this and uh, I'm really glad that, you know, the listeners who heard this last episode that was just the raw, saddest end could hear how much his friends loved him and like, I know Dylan, Dylan was Chris's sponsor and Chris uh, just loved you and looked up to you in so many ways and like identified with you in so many ways and I know that like in the end he like started to like not be around and I think it like was hard for him and he didn't know like like he, he had pride and he had shame and he didn't want to disappoint you I think I think that was a piece of it you know and it, I mean I mean you you came up to me and you said it's not your fault you know what I mean like and it because I think we all feel like a bit of responsibility and, and it's definitely not yours if you're carrying any of that you know? Yeah, thanks, man. You know what I mean. I don't know. I'm not, I do. I'm not here to tell you that. You it's know? important for us to remind each other of that, though, because we understand this disease is more powerful than we are. You know? Exactly. In that, that shit. He had a lot of momentum. It's like easy for us to sit back and be like, four years, that's incredible. He had a lot of momentum of a lot of sickness and a lot of shame. Mm-hmm. And that was going to take a while to clean up, you know? And he needed, he really needed to keep doing the things that were working, I think, more than even we knew he needed to do them. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and at some point he lost touch with his own truth that he needed to, he, he needed deathly, like so, so badly to be at a meeting or to be like, to have some kind of spiritual life, whatever it was, to be interacting in a wholesome way. Even when he started coming up with us, like less frequently, but he was still coming up with us. I noticed interactions were kind of like, he, he seemed to be like hanging out a little bit less with like yeah, yeah. Colin and Ted and Alex yeah. and like he would still do stuff but it was like it was less it was like hard to get him to do shit it was hard to get him to do shit too. he just For needed in months. his life still he needed that space For he needed the door to be cracked open you know that was like the best metaphor I'd heard like he did he always left his door cracked open and I would go up four nights a week and not even say anything just lay in his room like lay on the floor and we'd be like what's up and then just like be with each other, mm. you know. And like when life gets hectic, those really important moments become hard to come by. And it's like they, I think we sometimes forget how valuable they are. Mm. Just like the being with each other without judgment. There's like as important as like relationships and parent stuff is and jobs. Like just being with somebody who understands who you are and holds you without judgment. There's like not a lot more valuable than that, yeah. you know. And I think I know I need that to recharge my battery, and I can forget. <laughs> Totally. Like how important that is. And something Alex was saying today earlier was about like, Chris was never like, he was rarely agitated and he was rarely in a hurry. And he was rarely, like, he didn't have, <laughs> rarely. Even, if he had, <laughs> but even if he had somewhere to be, yeah. he didn't really have to be there as fast as, and that changed. Like, I, I mean, just to, to tell a little bit of a story, when we finally did the Artie Lang episode, Chris showed up and in retrospect now, he was definitely high. And um, we went out there, and he was all agitated, and he was fucking with me because I was excited, but not in the usual fun Chris way, in this kind of, like, dick way. And after it was over, like, the ferry, like, we went to get the ferry back to Manhattan, and the ferry pulled away, and Chris starts screaming at the ferry, like, what the fuck, man? And it's Chris. I was like, I was like, what the heck? I was like, what is going on? And then, like, I walked this, the sun was going down, and it was on the water, and I was feeling incredibly victorious that we had gotten Artie Lang, and I wanted to take a picture with the skyline behind us, and and I I was, like, really feeling the moment, and Chris was not feeling the moment. He was like, all right, let's take a picture, and then, and then I was like, I was like, what's going on? And he was like, he was like, I gotta get going, I gotta get going, 
and then we got on the next ferry, and he sat down. And I was like, "Isn't it?" So, I was like beaming because I was so excited. I was like, "Isn't it so beautiful? The light on the water." And he was like, "Yeah." And then we the, the ferry gets in, and I go, "Do you want to get something to eat?" He's like, "No, I'm going home." He's like, "Good work." And I was like, I was chilled. It was a cold to the bone. It was just so not him. Because he would have a meal at the, at the drop oh, yeah. of a fucking ass. Yeah. You know, it was, rarely was a meal he didn't want to have. Yeah. You know, and he went and he caught a bus. You know, and that was another thing that Annie said. You know, Chris said he didn't drive. You know, Chris drove to the, he's like a fucking race car driver. driver. Yeah. He drove to the ends of the earth. Yeah. And, and for the Artie Lang thing, he took the bus. And he, he took the bus from Boston. And he said it was because of the injury, and Annie was convinced it was because he wanted to get high and he was scared to drive so high. You know? And tomorrow, um, you're going you're gonna to give his eulogy. Um, and you've been thinking about it. What are, what are you, you going to come up with? I not? mean, do, do we want to do the, the Unless, second draft? I'm, I want to hear it. I want to hear If anybody else, I mean, like, we're in that nice sweet spot where the episode can be starting to wrap up, but if there's any other like quick stories, bust them out, but otherwise I would love to close this one out mm. with what the send-off is going to be, you know, because it's, I know that he would be honored, and, and, and I know the Dopey Nation will be honored to fucking hear what, what, what we're going to hear. Yeah, you I think so. Get to mm -hmm. it? I think so, 100%. Unless you want another quickie first, do you have another quickie? I honestly, I'm like chomping at the bit. Dude, I'm, I'm nothing, man. I am like destroyed <laughs> right now. Honestly. All right, so I do need to practice reading this anyway, so I can maybe get through it without crying. So this is probably helpful. You can cry too if you want. Thank you. It's totally understand. It's, it's out of my control. <clears throat> In considering what to say today, it occurred to me that trying to unpack the life and mind of Chris was a fool's errand. This is not breaking news. His idiosyncrasies and complexities were exactly what drew us all to him. Every time I thought I had, a fur I had him figured out, he would reveal yet another layer and challenge my notion of who he was. And this special ability Chris had to dismantle my perceptions was, I believe, one of his greatest gifts. As an example, Chris rented a spare bedroom in my house for the better part of three years. As part of his attempt at getting healthy, he started drinking copious amounts of water. Poland Springs, one gallon bottles to be precise. <laughs> we have the best water in the state out in the Berkshires, but getting, glass at, getting glasses of water would have required needless trips up and down the stairs. So gallon bottles it was. Before long, Chris had amassed a dozen or so bottles and it was starting to clutter his room. When I suggested that maybe he should bring them down to be recycled, without skipping a beat, he replied that he was saving them to build a bottle raft. <laughs> to this day, to this day, I don't know if he actually intended to build the Berkshire's first ever plastic bottle raft, or if he just didn't want to deal with them bringing down the stairs. Chris was intensely intelligent and knew the rules to every social game, so maybe he just knew exactly what to say to get me to drop the bottle issue. If that was the case, it worked. Before long, he had like 80 plastic bottles. They were under his bed, lined along the walls of his bedroom, stacked on dresser drawers. With his bedroom capacity exceeded, he started storing them in hall closets and in the bathroom. This continued for the three years he stayed with us, his charm always outpacing the annoyance of being under siege by plastic bottles. So he graduated UMass and headed off for grad school. His last day of the house was mellow, slow packing, watching Star Trek, and of course, sweatpants. That night, he drove off to Boston. We had just begun a renovation and had a dumpster in the driveway. 
The next morning, Dan was carrying some debris into the dumpster. As he carefully opened the dumpster, he was met with a tidal wave of plastic bottles pouring <laughs> over him and into the driveway and into the street. Chris had apparently spent hours the night before climbing in and out of the dumpster, perfectly balancing hundreds of plastic bottles to be released on an unsuspecting victim. <laughs> he didn't know who this would be, but I'm sure he chuckled all the way to Boston knowing he had created yet another moment of hilarity in Great Barrington. Mm-hmm. This was vintage Chris. When tasked with doing something with the bottles, he did it. He fulfilled my humble request, but did it on his own terms and in his own way. He was, yet again, playing the trickster. This is who Chris was. He was the joker, the coyote. At first glance, his antics might look immature, which, let's be honest, oftentimes they were. (laughs) But I want to submit they were often just the opposite. They were brilliantly crafted ploys that brought levity and connection. His breed of loving kindness was to poke and prod us to ask tough questions with that knowing smile, to humiliate us, to remind us that we're here, we're alive, and life is pretty damn good. This is all not to say that Chris couldn't be serious or genuine. Often he and I sat with people in crisis, offering support in any way we could. And it was there in those moments that Chris's brilliance really shined. His charm and empathy was disarming. He was someone people opened up to. He spent years doing the meaningful, altruistic work that breathes life into recovery communities. One of the hardest things about someone passing unexpectedly is the feeling of incompleteness, the wondering if they had accomplished their life's purpose and if there even is such a thing. The night Chris died, I stayed up all night poring over old texts and emails and social media interactions. I'm, not sure, I'm sure I'm not alone in that. I started rereading his old articles and stumbled on one particular moving paragraph that brought his life back into focus for me. In it, he describes exactly what he thought <clears throat> would be his highest potential achievement. Chris writes... Like most people, I would like to leave a legacy, something that extends beyond my years and changes the world for the better. Traditionally, I've hoped my stamp on the world would be concrete, a company, a book, whatever. But I have this unshakable feeling that the best thing I could ever do is be available and kind to the people I interact with on a daily basis. The ripple effect of loving kindness will always outpace the most magnificent individual creation. We are gathered here today, yes, to grieve and yes, to mourn but we're also here to honor and to bear witness to an extraordinary life lived by an extraordinary man. Chris accomplished his goal. The ripples he produced will live on forever. As much as I feel cheated, I have to acknowledge a part of me that asked this question. What if his life was perfect? What if the time I spent with him, the time we spent with him, was exactly what was intended? I know from my countless talks with Chris that he never <coughs> lost his deep faith in God. That faith ext- extended into his seeming knowing that things would always unfold just as they should. In closing, I'd like to address Chris directly. Chris, as God and your family and friends as my witness, I want to tell you I always was and always will be intensely proud of you. I witnessed you become a man of honor and dignity. I love you and always will. And as devastating as your leaving us has been, it's been well worth the ride. Amen. 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 Well, wow. That's amazing. Uh, let's just say what we always say at the end of these episodes, uh, which is uh, stay strong, Dopey Nation, and say what he said. Say Toodles. Thank you. Toodles. Toodles. I want to take a walk around the world. I wonder would it do me any good. Until I get some money in my pocket, then I guess I'll just have to walk around my neighborhood. But I want to be good so bad want to be so good, so bad, so bad I want to be good so bad
beer, jetliner, take a dive, just to show all of these people what it means to be alive, but I want to be good so bad, want to be so good, so bad, so bad, I want to be good so bad, bad desires all I ever had, and my shadow's getting smaller, smaller, City far behind. I'll take the high road, however far it winds, because peace and love are very, very, very hard to find. And I wanna be good so bad. Wanna be good so bad, so bad. I wanna be good so bad. Bad desires all I ever had. Damn it, all these suckers make me mad. Suckers make me mad, and it's all I ever had, 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 and